most people with disabilities that I am aware of and hear about and talk to are in real danger of having no purpose as a citizen of their community. What if there were a bigger story than disability? You're listening to more conversations at the center of the movement to build connection and belonging in an age of isolation. Can you start us off and talk about what does safety get sold as in the service system today? They're selling us an idea of safety that nothing will ever happen to us. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is they're trying to provide a, a, a cover for families and communities to say, great, you got it, take care of it, mm-hmm. thank you. We just kind of believe that there's a balance, that there are some services that can provide some degree of safety. But we just don't believe that that's the only form. And that's where we we have the question of, well, who's got my back? Who is making it more safe for me and with me? And the thing that we kind of think about at Starfire, it's a great quote, is that safety actually comes from the presence of many capable, caring glances. We need to be in the presence of a bunch of people that know us and see us and love us. And that's actually what keeps us safe. It's not the locks on our doors. It's not the security systems. It's not the management requirements of the Medicaid system or the policies of the group home or the day program or the the, the uh, segregated farm that says that they're going to do this, that, or the other. None of those things really provide true safety. Yeah, I mean, if we all wanted to live in the safety that people with disabilities have to live in, which is the safety of basically the state Mm -hmm. and policies, it would look like a military state. You know, it would look like people going patrolling up and down the streets and us having to lock our doors at a certain time and all of us being sort of trapped in this really sterile, scheduled out environment and nobody would want that. It's always safer with more people. Yeah. So that's the design of Starfire's work that's intentional. That true safety comes from a form of love or a form of affection and care. It's a shared obligation. It's a reciprocal relationship. I look out for your best interest because I care about you. And you look out for mine because you care about me. So in front of me is a book called Christmas and Purgatory. And I'm going to read a quote says, some of mankind's most terrible misdeeds have been committed under the spell of certain magic words or phrases. Um, This book is filled with graphic and disturbing pictures of an institution. I bring this book into the conversation because it shows us the worst of mankind, of what can happen when we uh, follow the lore of safety over community? Well, the book Christmas in Purgatory has always been powerful to me because it is so, as you put, graphic. And it's also kind of interesting in that, at least from my perspective, some of the pictures rhyme with the pictures that I see even today in services for people and in the form of our services. It's not as as bad, right? So that book shows people naked in rooms with dozens of other people without any kind of toileting or any kind of cleanliness. It's a really horrific kind of doral kind of essay on what was happening to thousands and millions of people with disabilities. But if you took just the form of it, 
people in rooms without much purpose. You'd largely see that very much alive today. The same pattern is still happening in day programs and workshops and group homes for people with disabilities. That's really, I think, very dangerous because it's almost like it's repackaged. It's the same pattern, but it's 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 got some 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 new color to it. And then we buy it. We're giving them a version of the Christmas and Purgatory support system, which is here's some walls mm -hmm. that will largely keep out the monsters that we're telling you live outside of here. But they're still sitting there in a room with each other doing nothing that leads them outside of those walls. We're not in the presence of these safe, caring, loving glances. We are at the real kind of mercy mm -hmm. of the wardens of the institution, so to speak. So are you saying that we haven't designed anything really new out of the institution? We just kind of designed smaller, prettier institutions when we closed down places like Willowbrook. That's my perspective. It seems like the, the intentions are b maybe better this time around. I think we're evolving. Like, I do think that people are trying to recreate somewhat of a better mousetrap. It's just still a mm -hmm. trap. And now we're stepping into a space in time where our laws are starting to say, well, are these kind of places the same as the institutions? And people are largely saying, yeah, they are mm -hmm. in function and in form. So it doesn't matter the intention of whether or not, it's still based on a design, and that design is still based on some assumptions that people with disabilities are them, are, are a collective group of people, and that's a dangerous thing because then everybody's identity is lost. Most people with disabilities that I am aware of and hear about and talk to are in real danger of having no purpose as a citizen of their community. They are simply a client of nonprofits and governmental services, and their entire purpose is lost to the world. And I think that's a big danger that I think Starfire raises and says, what about this person's purpose? Why was this person born? And what's the role of a family and a community to discover that? And what's the role of a support system, a service system, to nurture that experience, yeah. right? And, and I don't think that it's bad to have a collaboration between a service system and families and community. It's, for me, from my perspective, it's overweighted toward just the service system. And then a person with a disability almost gets kind of sent to this place or places that are gonna serve them. And if it's just to captivate them and keep them safe in our building, the shared purpose becomes clienthood. Mm -hmm. It becomes we all are in this building because we all have some sort of need that's been defined by our yeah. medical records or our doctor's evaluation. So the volunteerism could be we discover our purpose together as citizens. And that's what would build that kind of safety net of relationships that well, I look out for you because I care about your purpose. I care that your gift to the world would be missing if you weren't here. The biggest danger from my perspective is nobody's talking about this. We say, well, it's their choice to be segregated. And in that case, let ourselves off the hook 
for even addressing the complexity of the issue. I think that's why Starfire's story is so powerful. It's just more honest. We're talking about the complexity of things versus selling everybody on the idea that we can solve all your problems. The most egregious examples I have of people with disabilities being in trouble is where there was very few people looking out for them. You know, there was a woman who was being prostituted. I mean, she had $100,000 a year in services, and the services still couldn't stop her from being prostituted, right? Another person I know uh, lit a cup on fire in his group home and spent two years in state penitentiary. He, again, had a big waiver, a big bunch of money behind him that the service system and a bunch of nonprofits, including Starfire in both these cases, lined up and said, we'll keep you safe. We had three people that I always kind of pair together that came to our dances and our outings. One young man's mother shot him up with morphine and shot herself up with morphine. She's still alive, but she's in jail for the rest of her life, and her son is dead. Another young woman would come to our dances and outings, and her mom laid her down in bed and shot her in the head and shot herself in the head, mm -hmm. and both of them are dead. Another mother stabbed her daughter, who was autistic, and then stabbed herself and set the house on fire. All three of those people came to our outings and our programs. They all participated in our dances. They all went bowling with us. And I'm sure it's more complicated than any of us know, but my question has always been, did we fail them by not bringing in more people into that story? Yeah. By telling them that our dances and outings were going to answer all of their, their hopes and dreams and fears, did we take away the complexity and did we let ourselves off the hook for actually inviting in those capable glances that would have said, hey, it seems like you're not doing so good. Could I spend an afternoon with your daughter or could you and I take a walk and just talk about it? Or mm. how do we grow a safety net of, of relationships versus services? A safety net of that, that looks more like love. Yeah. Outside of the service system, outside of a volunteer saying, you know, let's go on an outing together and sort of not taking them as seriously as a true friend. You know, when families can see that, hey, my son or daughter is loved, that creates safety. Yeah, I think that if I fear being rejected, it's largely because I've had that experience before, right? And we know that people with disabilities are rejected a lot of ways throughout their lives. So are their families. And if we don't acknowledge that and then ask the question, how do we mitigate against that rejection? How do we build less rejection? That would be really good work. But to simply say we're going to protect you from ever having to worry right. about rejection doesn't actually get at the antidote to rejection. It just takes away the possibility of the hurt coming. Let's address the idea that people with disabilities often need support. Not every person with disabilities has the same needs or challenges, but across the board, you know, there is a need for support that might look like a staff person, right? I think that what, what we're saying here is not to say that someday the community will replace every need for the service system. Is that right? Or yeah. I, I, I don't want anybody to ever think that a friend is going to replace 
say, paid supports or a friend's going to replace a family, right? There's, it's a separate thing. However, we can't think that the service system is the sole owner of support. We have to believe that some people can learn ways to support each other outside of services. So, for example, if somebody needs a, a feeding tube, that might lie outside of the technical expertise or even something that would be unsafe, right? We, we wouldn't want me changing someone's feeding tube. I, I don't even know what that looks like. I could easily create an infection or cause some wrong harm to the person. However, there's lots of things that we could all do together that don't require me changing the feeding tube. The problem is services kind of own every aspect of yeah. a person's life. And I always ask family members, well, were you trained to have a kid with a disability or did they just kind of fall into your lap? I'll say, we just learned. So family members are simply citizens who learned the role of caregiver. And that means that other citizens can learn the role of caregiver. Yeah. I just don't like discounting the possibility that citizens could learn these things. Absolutely. So services have to be more creative and individualized. Mm -hmm. So they consider each individual's design question. What is the design question that arises from this person's life yeah. or their purpose? How might we help support and facilitate that is an individualized design question. They also have to assume that someone from the community should and could be in this person's life in a variety of different ways. The service workers have to own their own limitations. One of the last quotes here in the Christmas at Purgatory book says, the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. And I think that that, you know, is a big part of what we're talking about. If we keep the same mindsets, we're going to continue to pump out the same story, which is an old story of people with disabilities. Yeah, I think people are free to do that if they want. If they want to recreate the outings or they want to recreate day programs, it's, it's a free country, right? Nobody can stop them. And there might be some people that say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea for me or for my family member. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just aren't the people that we're really working with. We're really working with people that say, I thirst for a future and I believe in that future and I'm willing to work with you, you know? Yeah. How should people change their mindsets around safety? Sort of underlying thing that you think really needs to just shift people. I think they got to start getting out there and meeting people, you know? I think they got to start really believing that there's literally probably 30 people that they haven't met yet that are their future best friends. And the only way to meet them is to start meeting them. And then after that, the only way to get them to become best friends is to start investing in those people and and just believe in it and then act like you believe it. And sure enough, it becomes true. Cool. Anything else? Good right. work. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Tim. It's complicated, isn't it? Mm-hmm.